want to talk to you about a conduct grade. How many of you have ever gotten a conduct grade? Some, yeah, some of us in some way, some fashion, uh, coming up through school perhaps uh, on some of our report cards or so, uh, there is some kind of uh, designation of what your conduct has been like. Um, I think back when I was going to school, it was something like either an S or a U satisfactory or unsatisfactory it was great when i had all s's on my report card uh you know there were other people like dale that just faced u's all the time when they came home but it was like conduct you had to you know you're trying to do well it wasn't just your academic performance it was how you had acted in the classroom setting or acted toward other people or even toward the teacher himself so Perhaps that was a, a conduct grade that you got. When I was reading through these verses, in some sense, Paul was talking to the church at Philippi about their conduct. And he was really asking the question, kind of like, what, what grade would you give yourself and what grade should you give yourself? And, and, um, and how are you going to conduct yourself from here forward? Because he's writing to them. And as I've told you, he loves them. He, he, he really established the church at Philippi. And he loves them, he's prayed for them, he's written to them now, and he wants them to conduct themselves in a way that exemplifies Christ and exemplifies his gospel. So I want to share with you tonight just this idea of conducting ourselves in an appropriate way and really counting ourselves as blessed before God. Beginning in verse 27 again, he writes them and he says, "...only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come..." And see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. So he writes to them, and he just simply says, he says, conduct yourselves worthily of the gospel of Christ. It's really just all, he says, just conduct yourselves worthily of the gospel of Christ. In that verse 27, where it says, only let your conduct, literally that word conduct means something like, uh, to live as a citizen, to live as a citizen. I went back and looked up the word, <clears throat> wanted to make sure I had all my facts straight, but it, it's the Greek word from where we get our English term politics. You didn't even know that was in the Bible, did you? You didn't know anything about politics was associated with the scripture. But actually here, it, it, it brings back this idea of being a citizen. That's really what it means. So when you're talking about conducting yourself, you're talking about living as a responsible citizen in the kingdom. Later on, here in the book of Philippians, he will talk about how we are citizens of heaven itself. The idea is that we are not just citizens here on this earth. Now, most of those in Philippi, those in the Roman Empire, they would have been very familiar with the idea of citizenship. Paul was 
Paul was proud of his Roman citizenship. If you look at his life, if you read much about him, he was proud that he was a Roman citizen. And he knew with that were rights and responsibilities. So he knew all about citizenship. He knew all about the way you were to relate to, the, to your earthly principalities. But here he says, let your conduct or let your citizenship be deemed worthy of the gospel of Christ. Again, later on, he'll say that we are citizens of heaven. So in some sense, we're just passing through, right? You know, I am very grateful, and I am. I still say it today. I'm grateful that I can belong to a nation uh, like we have where there's freedom, where we can come and preach, and we can come and share, and we can do all these things. I am. I'm thankful for that. All of us should be thankful in some sense. Not perfect, never perfect. We should never live under the delusion that we are perfect or this nation is perfect. But I'm grateful to live here, and I'm grateful to be a part. But I'm more grateful that I can be a part of the kingdom of God. I hope you understand what I say by that. I'm thankful for this nation. But what makes the true difference in my life is recognizing I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that citizenship... Well, that citizenship is not bound by geographical barriers, ethnical barriers. Not, it's not bound by anything. Rather, we are part of the kingdom. And we should live like that. We should live as responsible citizens. We ought to conduct ourselves in an appropriate way. We should conduct ourselves and testify of Christ Jesus in everything that we do. So you and I, we are believers. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a believer. And you have been tagged with this idea of a Christian, that you are a Christ follower. And if you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, then you have a responsibility to bear that name well every day of your life, to conduct yourself worthily of the gospel of Christ. Now, that's what Paul is saying to this church. He's saying to this church at Philippi, you just have to conduct yourself. You have to live as kingdom citizen each day worthily of the gospel. Now, notice specifically what he says as well in verse 27. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit. So look what he says. He says that you ought to conduct yourselves worthily of the gospel regardless, regardless of who else is around, regardless if there are other believers around. He said you ought to demonstrate yourself worthily. Paul recognized that if he were there, many of them would act right, would do what they were supposed to. He recognized he couldn't be with them all the time. He was like a father to them. He understood that. But he also recognized that there would be moments like now where he is in Rome and captivity and he could not be there physically with them. And he said, it doesn't matter whether I'm there or not, you are to obey what Christ has given you. We can all, well, we, we, we can all somewhat uh, relate to that, can we not? If mom and daddy are around in our lives when we were growing up, we made sure we acted right, right? Let's talk about church just a moment. 
Let's say we were in church and mama was sitting right by us. We usually acted just the way we should. Now, there were some of us, I could call some of your names, that probably didn't, but most of us acted right if we were sitting by our mama. But how about that one time when mama let us go sit by somebody else? Maybe up in the balcony. We went up in the balcony. It was just us. We were... It was a little easier to get away with things, or so we thought. Again, just as Mother knew everything was happening in the community, she knew everything happening in the church building, even in a worship service. And eventually, we had to bear the consequences of our action. But while we were away, it was so much easier to do what we want. It's funny, I, I had some friends there in Picayune, and uh, one of my friends had joined the church there at Pine Grove. He'd come more from a holiness background, and uh, you know, he was talking about different things, and he would talk about how the presence of the preacher can change actions and attitudes. He related about how his family would gather around the TV and enjoy all that the TV could offer, all the different programs, until they saw their preacher coming down the drive. He said they would scramble. He said that things would be flying, things would be... He said as long as they could get that TV into the closet before the preacher got there, they would be happy because they could not allow... I said... Well, don't you think the preacher walked in and somehow saw that there was something missing from the corner of the room? They said, all we know was he never asked any questions. And we felt like we were covered. You know, some people live kind of like that. If somebody else is around, we want to make sure we're obedient. Somebody else is there to watch us. We want to make sure our, our conduct is pristine. Paul said, I don't care if I'm there or I'm not. It does not matter. You are to conduct yourselves worthily of the gospel. That's good for all of us to hear. May I just say this? Our obedience is not based on other people and never should be. My walk with the Lord is not based on whether or not you walk with the Lord. My walk with the Lord is not based upon whether or not somebody else is there to supervise me or watch over me. My walk with the Lord ought to be something that I am seeking regardless of any other believers around me. Now, I'm all for encouragement, all for challenging one another, all for prodding one another alone. I am thankful to have other believers in my life. But that should not be the primary reason for my obedience to the gospel of Christ. And that's basically what Paul is saying here. Paul just says, conduct yourself worthily. He said, I hope whether I'm there or not that you would stand fast in one spirit with one mind contending together for the faith of the gospel. So whether I'm there or not, you're going to demonstrate that you're a citizen of the kingdom, that you're going to conduct yourself appropriately, that you're going to stand, that you are going to contend for the faith. Those words are associated with athletic events. The idea of standing and contending. 
the athletic events of the New Testament era. Now, Paul often uses such athletic imagery to teach or preach. And what he's saying here is <clears throat> we need to recognize that we're, we're kind of in an athletic event and we need to compete. We need to contend. We need to do our best for the kingdom. So look at all these different analogies Paul's using here in this one verse. I mean, it's kind of like live as kingdom citizens, conduct yourselves worthily, contend just as an athlete would, train yourself, prepare yourself, get yourself ready to live worthily of the gospel. And notice what he says in one spirit, stand fast in one spirit, <clears throat> with one mind, striving together. Now, <clears throat> we're going to look at this probably next week, talk a little more about the unity of the church there at Philippi. But you will know, as you read through this book, that they have disunity. There are issues. Church at Philippi is different things, different individuals competing with different types of priorities, different types of personalities that you'll have. And here, Paul says, when you are contending, when you're competing for the faith, when you're living in such a worthy way, he said, you do it collectively together with one mind, one spirit. In other words, don't forget you're on the same team. And when you contend for the faith, and you try to live worthily, do it together as a team. Now see, I know a moment ago I said, it doesn't matter what other believers are doing, you're responsible for your obedience. I believe in that. But I also believe that God's put us in the context of the church, of the people of God, so that together as a team, we can make more of a difference for the kingdom. And it's always better when the team's going in the right direction, the same direction, isn't it? I mean, you look at a team that somehow um, experiences conflict or division, any team, any athletic team you want to talk about, if they're experiencing those things, they will not achieve very much. I was listening to a coach here at Tech the other night talk about chemistry and about how important it is to have the right chemistry and really also what he's saying is the right unity that somehow they're all playing for the same goals and they're playing for the same purposes and there are no as he said prima donnas that are just there for themselves rather there's a team concept paul injects this team concept here he says that we ought to be doing this with one mind and one Spirit, we are contending for the gospel. And then he says, notice in verse 28, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. So I'm going to conduct myself worthily of the gospel of Christ, regardless of the other believers around. Hopefully they will come and we will work as a team. But also he says, we're going to conduct ourselves worthily of the gospel, regardless of the unbelievers. Or those who come against us. We're going to stand. We're going to be able to. We're going to be able to proclaim the gospel. He said don't, don't be terrified. Some translations may say. Don't be intimidated. By those that would come against you. 
again, the Philippian church, they're going to have conflict within and they're going to have conflict without. Such is the nature of the church, isn't it? It seems that there can come conflict within and there is conflict certainly without. And he says, don't be intimidated by those outside the church that would try to limit your witness. Good words for us today, I think. We'll find those who are unbelievers, who are outside the kingdom, who will try to limit our gospel presentation, who will try to intimidate us. We'll, we'll see it all around us. It's going to happen. Don't be overly disturbed by it because this is what's happened throughout the centuries. This was what was happening in the New Testament age as well. It's been faced before. God gave strength to his church. We can face it today because God continues to give strength to his church. We can still be the people that he wants us to be, no matter what comes against us. And you know, sometimes, all right, I'm deviating from script just a moment. Probably get in trouble for this, but let me just say this. I think sometimes we actually do better when we have more of the society coming after us. Don't believe me? You look at the early church. You look at those moments of the reformers. You look at those moments where the church, were, where the church formed the outside group and you will see the power of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. Too often when we become associated with the power structures of earth, you will see our, we, you will see our spiritual power become anemic in the way we respond. I was uh, having my class Wednesday night. Some of the guys in my class that I told you are going to seminary, some of you know I meet with them on Wednesday night about 7 o'clock, and I was going through a study with them. I was talking with them about baptism and the Lord's Supper, the two ordinances of the church, and I talked to them about the doctrinal things about that. And as we were going through, it was kind of like we were hitting some Baptist history. And they began to ask me things about uh, Baptist origins. And I told them that if you look at Baptist history, we Baptists have always been the outsiders. We always have been. Uh, and as my Presbyterian high school Bible teacher reminded me one day, that is also the reason that many of our Baptist preachers are not quite as educated as the Methodist, Presbyterian, and everybody else. It is. That's the reason we don't have a required, one of the reasons. There's a couple of reasons. I'm not going to get into it tonight. But one of the reasons why we don't have educational requirements for you to preach at a Baptist church. You may think we do, but we don't. One of the reasons we haven't is because throughout history, Baptists have been persecuted. They didn't have schools. Many of the other religions or denominations were associated with state governments. Not Baptist. But you know what? We, we seem to have found the power of God for so long. And we didn't get intimidated by the opposition. We just kept preaching and teaching. And I'm going to tell you, friends, God blessed us a lot. But we hit our height in basically 1950 
You think about that. If you look since 1950, we've either plateaued as a Baptist people or now we're in total decline. And yet since 1950, probably in certain circles, we have been very privileged and had power in many different ways. See, I think this is a great day for us. Now, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying I'm proud that there are intimidators out there. I'm not going around like some people saying, praise God, the nation's going down. Not saying that. What I'm saying to you is, it is a great moment for us in history to step up, not be intimidated, and preach the gospel of Christ. Because that is what truly changes people's hearts and lives. And if you want to see power back in the churches, it does not come through the political structure. It comes through the gospel of Christ making a difference in people's lives. He says, you walk worthily. You live as kingdom people. It doesn't matter what other believers are doing. It doesn't matter who comes against you. Do not be intimidated. Do not be terrified for your adversaries because what's happening is they are seeing proof, evidence that one day their way of life will be destroyed. He says, perdition here, but to you of salvation, and this is from God. He says, conduct yourselves worthily of the gospel of Christ. These last two verses then, he basically says, count yourself blessed by the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves worthily for the gospel, but then count yourselves blessed blessed by the gospel verse 29 for to you it has been granted on behalf of christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake he says it has been granted to you you have a great privilege and opportunity i love opportunities i love open doors i love it when god opens a door and gives us an opportunity we're a blessed people. And what Paul says to the Philippians is you have an open door. You have an opportunity. You have a privilege. Yes, to have faith in him. I mean, that is a great opportunity. Or to faith him, to believe him. Notice verse 29. Not only to believe him in him, he says. I went back and looked at that again. And Dale, I know I've mentioned him a couple times already, but I'm going to because he helped me understand this book, Dr. Douglas Bain at Blue Mountain College. As we worked through it in the uh, Greek text, and Dr. Bain meant so much to me, he, he reminded us as students that there was no English verb for faith. Only the noun faith. What I mean by that? You don't go around and say, I faith you. You don't say that, do you? I faith him. You don't. That, that's not an English. So you know what they did is they used the English verb believe. Well, that's good. But I think sometimes it doesn't convey exactly what it should. Because sometimes our belief is just intellectual belief. Remember what James said, though? That even the deem, demons believe, have this intellectual belief. And they tremble. This kind of belief doesn't save anybody. Faith is what saves people. So what he says here is that you have the opportunity and privilege not only to faith in him. Yeah, that's a verb there. 
that you trust him with all your being, that you have total, complete dependence in him. And yes, that is an opportunity, right? He says not only, but it is an opportunity and privilege. It came to us through God himself, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, we've had that privilege and that opportunity. Thanks be to God for it. Recognize how blessed we are that we've had that opportunity. There are cities, there are villages all across this globe that have not had the privilege and opportunity you and I have to faith in Jesus Christ. We've had a privilege. We've had an opportunity. We ought to count ourselves blessed. And also, he says, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him as well. To suffer for his sake. Now I recognize, even with all the things that are going on in our culture, we must admit that our suffering as believers here in this nation, minimal compared to our brothers and sisters across this globe. I'm not saying that this culture is not pushing back upon us. It is. But there are brothers and sisters we have across this earth that are suffering for the name of Christ. And what Paul says is that's a privilege and an opportunity. Seems to be difficult for me to comprehend that, maybe for you to comprehend that. But Paul says not only the opportunity for you to believe and trust, have faith, but you have an opportunity to be able to suffer. The Philippian church was going to suffer some from the outsiders and the detractors. He said, you count that as a blessing. You count that as a blessing. Some of you, I don't know if you read the book, uh, Insanity of God. Some of you in here did, maybe. Some of you, uh, some of you watched the movie. Some of you say, what are you talking about? If you've not read the book, I'm going to tell you all to go read it. I read it probably a couple years ago. Leslie was reading it. She said, she said Reggie, you've got to read this. And then she began telling me about it. And I was like, baby, you, you got, if, if I'm going to read it, you can't tell me everything that happens in it. She's like, yeah, but it's so good. And she, I mean, she just began sharing the different things and all of that. And I read that book. And I mean, I read it so quickly. It basically outlines uh, one of our IMB missionaries, his journey through difficulty, through persecution. And then you see him turn and go to different areas of our globe and talk to those who have suffered. Maybe... In East Asia, maybe in Russia, maybe in one of the Baltic states, he would go and he would talk to those. He wanted just to interview them, to talk to them about their suffering. As I read through it, it was amazing to see how God demonstrated his power through suffering.
There was several parts that struck me. Not going to tell you all because I hope you'll go read, all right? But there was one part I read about those believers in Russia who would gather together and pray and seek the Lord. And they decided at one point to have a youth gathering. They knew that when they did, they would probably put themselves on the line, the leaders of it anyway. But they gathered the youth together. I think it was about a week, if I remember right. And they asked all of those youth to recreate the New Testament as best they could before that week was out, just from memory. And that week, so many of them crafted together that New Testament. I want to say that they missed very, very few verses, over 90-something percent of the New Testament. They recreated from memory. The leaders, of course, were brought in by the Russian officials and, of course, had to deal with the consequences that the government brought. But one of the leaders said something, I think, very poignant. He said, what we gained in persecution, I pray we do not lose in freedom. This was when there was more freedom that came after the Soviet collapse. What we gained in persecution, I pray we do not lose in freedom. And what he meant was, he hoped and prayed that their youth could still do that same thing during freedom as they had during persecution. That they had been taught the scripture. That they had known the scripture. Now again, I'm not praying God send persecution our way. But I will say to you that God can use suffering to build his kingdom. Don't believe me? Look at the New Testament. Look at Jesus Christ. Look at his life. Look at his suffering. It is through his suffering, it is through his steps that we ourselves have life today. And Paul, well, Paul in verse 30 says, I'm an example as well. He says, here I am in captivity in Rome. The gospel's still going forth just as we looked at some weeks ago earlier in this chapter, how God was using it for his progress, his advancement. He says, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. In other words, I'm going through it now, but this is a privilege for me. This is an opportunity for me to share the gospel. Count yourself blessed. Because of the faith you have, and yeah, even in your suffering, count yourself blessed. Even when there's struggle. Paul does say here there's a struggle. Notice verse 30, use the word conflict. It is the Greek word agony. He said, I've had struggle, agony in my life. But God can use it. And God has used it. For the furtherance of the gospel. So tonight, it's just a challenge to us. Hey, don't we all need this challenge? To conduct ourselves worthily? of the gospel of Christ, to live as kingdom citizens, regardless of the other believers who are around us, when they are with us, hopefully we're on the same team together though, regardless of the intimidators that are out there, regardless of the detractors who are out there, we're to walk, we're to conduct ourselves 
worthily of the gospel. And then we're just to count ourselves blessed in our faith and even in our struggles, even in our suffering. We're to count ourselves blessed by God and his activity in our lives. Let's take that challenge with us. Let's live it tomorrow and this week as we seek his kingdom above all else. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this evening. Thank you for this study. As always, so often we thank you for the word that you've given us that impacts our hearts and lives, that truly does transform us. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray for myself that tomorrow, that the next day, that this whole week and even into this month and the months to come, we would conduct ourselves worthily of the gospel. That our obedience is not based upon who's around and who's not. But we'd walk with you We'd contend for the faith, even when the faith is challenged. God, I pray that we'd recognize how blessed we are for the opportunities and the privileges you've afforded us, even the privilege, even the privilege of conflict and suffering in our lives. Now, God, speak to us. Help us to live out your word this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we have this moment of invitation?